2: We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena?
3: Like, really love?
2: Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano.
4: Ronananian. The government sent out a notice that they're looking for mechanics. Did you see the notice about they're looking for mechanics? All of a sudden the country has realized that there is a shortage of trained automobile technicians. And like now, you just woke up to this fact? The things that make you go, hmm. The car doctor. I want your opinion because I don't understand how a fuel pump can
5: put pressure too high. The sensor tells the computer to tell the module what to do.
4: Right, because this is a returnless system, so they're looking at fuel rail pressure.
5: Welcome to the radio
0: home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in.
4: The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your call at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Well, Heidi ho and uh, welcome to the car doctor, Ron and Anian at your service. Um, what a week in the shop right it's it's always great in july because the shop is air conditioned and even so when it's 102 degrees out on the tarmac tarmac out in front of the shop baby it's hot outside and you're struggling just to try and stay hydrated and keep cool and, and and get the cars done and it's just like a wall of heat when you walk out in front of the shop on these days and Uh, You know, it doesn't make me miss January, though, because I take the heat over January when it's, you know, the wind's howling and it's 20 below. So, but uh, welcome, welcome to July, everybody. Um, I hope you're taking care of your car. I hope your air conditioning is working well. Uh, Some of the requests, some of the comments, some of the questions that we're getting. Um, You know, I noticed that a lot of you are, you're driving older cars or you're fixing older cars. You're attempting to fix older cars. Uh, We had a couple this week in the shop. We had a 95 Chevy S10 pickup that had 181,000 miles on it, and it had a slew of problems. It had a misfire on Cylinder 5. It had an O2 heater circuit fault. It had a purge fault in the EVAP emission system. It had some oil leaks, which, you know, I don't worry so much about oil leaks on older vehicles. It keeps the chassis from rusting, depending on how bad of a leak it is. Power steering hose had a pretty good leak in it, kind of nasty. Uh, there were some other things going on with it as far as uh, the air conditioning. The Somebody had replaced the air conditioning compressor prior to us. This is our first time seeing the vehicle. And this was the old R four round rotary compressor style. And typically when those failed they grenaded internally and they put metal through the system. Well, it had the original condenser. The condenser hadn't been replaced and I'm assuming the orifice tube was not replaced because it was out of refrigerant. I pulled a vacuum on it. It held vacuum. Doesn't necessarily mean The system does not have leaks, as we found out, because, you know, testing a system under vacuum versus testing a system under pressure is two different things, very different circumstances. And it passed a vacuum test, put some refrigerant in it, and sure enough, the high side service port, the ball seat valve, was leaking and we couldn't get it to reseat. So, uh, you know, we knew we had a leak there. I put a cap on it for the purpose of testing. I wanted to see if the system would blow cold. And it pulled it into a vacuum. It pulled low side into a vacuum. High side pressure went high, which tells me there's a restriction in the system. So, you know, orifice tube or, or condenser or both. Okay, one, you know, one of two or three of the combination of. And what do you do with a vehicle like that? You know, you've got to break this down. This guy wants to drive the car. He said, hey, you know, it was my dad's car. My dad passed. I want to keep it as a testimony to your father, even though my wife doesn't want to do that. And, you know, listen, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is you know you've got to listen to what everybody's saying and um, when the wife says don't keep the vehicle boy you know that sort of takes precedent over everything so I wanted to make Ed happy I wanted to make his wife happy I wanted to be happy why not and I figured let me attack this thing the most logical way I know how to me out of all the faults with it between the oil leaks and the power steering leak and the air conditioning problem and the O2 codes and the perch the misfire fault was the most predominant. The misfire on Cylinder 5 was the worst. And, it, you know, listen, if, if it's got a misfire and it turns out to be something mechanical on the 180,000-mile vehicle that's almost, let's see, it's almost 27 going on 30 years old, depending on how you, what your perspective is, um, you know, you're not going to fix an engine on something that old. We won't have the conversation about it. There's no place to get it fixed anyway. But this is a 4.3 motor with the central... Port injector. This has one injector with the little plastic poppet valves in it that was so notorious to fail back in the day when more of these roamed the land. And, you know, could it be a bad injector nozzle? Could it be a bad poppet sticking open? Because the misfire wasn't there all the time. It was only there when the engine was called when you first started it. And somebody had been in there prior to us. You could see new cap rotor wires, new spark plugs. Somebody was working on it, trying to solve the misfire, but they hadn't come down to the final solution yet. And I tell you this story because, I, you know, I want you to see where my line of thinking was going, and if you disagree, let me know. In that, you know, let's assume it's not ignition. All the parts are new. It was all Delco stuff. It was all looked like it was properly installed. I didn't see any issues that way. Fuel trim looked normal, I didn't see any issues with fuel trim as I was watching it. This is a 95 vehicle so it was the first year OBD2. I was using my OBD2 scanner. Uh, I wasn't getting too fancy as far as tools were concerned. But I you know number 5 was the miss. Number 5 was and it was only there cold. Well, back in the day when there were more 4.3s out there, When the head gaskets failed, they would always fail cold, it seemed, and it was usually the last cylinder on the driver's side, number five. So I I thought about it, and I explained it to the customer. I said, listen, here's how we're going to attack this. You know, to do a head gasket on a vehicle of this age, you can't just do one side. You can't just do both sides. You're going to pull the engine out. It's leaking oil. You know, we don't know what oil consumption is, if any. We don't know much about it. You've got to rebuild the engine. Uh, to put an engine in anything today is easily four to five grand. On this 30 year old, I just want to make this vehicle for my father and be a testimony to my father, a monument, which I told him, I said, you could park it on the front lawn, and take a picture, it'd be just as good a monument. His wife liked that idea. Bottle of K seal. I said, let's put a bottle of K-Seal in it. I explained it to him that K-Seal is a great cooling system sealer. It works well with head gasket issues such as this if it's seeping. All right? And that's where we left it. I poured a bottle of K-Seal in it. I'm waiting to hear back the results. And here's my argument. If K-Seal fixes this vehicle and it no longer misfires cold, then we know it's a head gasket issue. And now we can make a determination, does he want to go ahead with the other stuff? If for some reason, and I don't I don't think it will, not fix the head gasket issue or if it's something else, and that's how much confidence I have in KCL, if, if the misfire is still there, I'm going to start to look towards fuel because it's not going to be a head gasket issue. But my point is, for under 100 bucks, I was able to come to a diagnostic conclusion and say, hey, it's either a head gasket or it's going to be something else if the problem continues. Got that old car out of the way. More info at kseal.com. by the way. The next one that rolled in the door, this was the week of old cars, 92, 92 Buick Roadmaster, a 30-year-old vehicle with 225,000 miles on it. I don't know. I must have a sign out front that says, bring me your tired, your weary, your old, your old car, I guess. I, you know, I should stand like this with the torch. I could be Mr. Statue of Liberty. This one had a bad axle bearing on the right side rear and you know it's it's staggering to me i said to my wife i said you know i must be getting old because i'm working on all these cars from around the time when i was you know breaking in when i was in the industry 10 or 12 years and all of a sudden i'm seeing the cars that i worked on then now and the frustration is as in the case of this buick roadmaster that needed an axle bearing well it had chewed up the axle and i couldn't get an axle shift for it obviously gm doesn't make them anymore um, I've tried, and listen, before anybody writes me 14 emails, because I know you guys love to write emails about the things that you think you would have done, before anybody has any comments about axle savers, if you've got an axle saver, an axle saver takes the bearing and relocates it to a different part of the existing bad axle shaft, the axle shaft that's all chewed up, take that axle saver, and use it as a paperweight on your desk. You'll get more life out of it, because I've done the axle saver routine, and typically within a year to 14 months, it comes back to bite you, and it's not what I consider a permanent fix. I did a little research, Dorman, more info at DormanProducts.com. Dorman is making axle shafts, and I was able to order an axle shaft for the right side rear through my suppliers from Dorman, came direct, popped in, nice axle, nice studs, all the parts you need to put it in. I got that one back on the road. And I guess the point of this open and the point of this conversation is that as these vehicles get older, We've got to start to think outside the box of traditional repair. We've got to look, you know, and, and certainly Dorman is not outside the realm of traditional repair. Dorman is they're definitely a part supplier in this day and age as they've always been. Um, but K-Seal was a little different on the head gasket issue car. Um, you know, GM doesn't make the part. Go look at Dorman. All right? You can find them online. Like I said, DormanProducts.com. You know, we've got to, if we're going to keep old cars going, we've got to look in places we may not traditionally look the very first time and then get used to it, because there's clearly a market for old cars. There's clearly a demand and a need for parts, especially when you look at the fact that there's no cars left to sell in the dealers. I went by the one dealer that I always typically go by um, here in New Jersey, and I think he's increased the number of cars on his lot from one to four this week. He's got four new vehicles out front. I can't imagine the price tag on them. Um, you know, I just... I, I look at the market premium. I don't know how the dealers are staying in business. I really don't. I think uh, I think they deserve a tribute of some kind because they're struggling, and uh, you know, as we all are. So, just 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 amazing stuff. Anyway, let's uh, let's pull over, take a pause. Let me say hello to Mr. Tom. Mr. Tom, um, you're looking well and chipper today. Everything good up there? Everything's happy. Yeah. So. Dog sleeping. am yeah. Sitting here looking out the window, and uh, rather than looking at you, which is a better thing. So, so hey, how, you know. how do we say that state again? Which state? Confusion? You know, the the one where we we have a new affiliate coming up in two weeks, right? Nevada. Oh. It's not Nevada. It's Nevada. 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 That's right. Yeah, Nevada. So I learned how to say Nevada this week, everybody. So yes, you did. I had to do promo. said it right. Yeah, I said it right. So I said um, it Nevada. Got to the point where I couldn't talk anymore. Talk. So it sounded like I was from Baston. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Run an eighty in the car. Doctor coming back right after this.
3: And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon.
2: We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.
3: As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeart Media is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. me! i You can call me
6: Call me! For the best in car advice, give Ron a call. 855-560-9900. Now, back to
4: Ron. Hey, let's uh, let's go over to Jimmy in Virginia and have some questions about gear oil. Jimmy, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
7: Oh, thank you for having me.
4: You're welcome, sir. What's going on?
7: Uh, um, I want to talk about differential fluid. I have a three-part question, if you'll allow me. Sure, go um, I'm having a little trouble. Right, I'm big on preventive maintenance on all my cars, and um, I'm having a little trouble finding the exact viscosity for the fluid, 7580, 7590. And also on one fluid, they, uh, they specifically mention hypoid gear oil. Do all fluids have hypoid gear in them? I, uh, uh, that old, that additive?
4: I, I believe that's an additive. I believe it has to say it on the on the package. Um, I haven't, geez, mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard that term in probably fifteen years. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's it's, And what kind of vehicles are we talking about, Jimmy?
7: Um, one of them's a Toyota FJ Cruiser. The front and rear differential <clears throat> use seventy-five eighty-five GL5. Now the transfer case, it's seventy-five ninety. It's slightly different, and it, there it mentions a hypoid gear oil. And they're all with GL five, right? Which is a quality rating, I guess. <clears throat>
4: right. My understanding of hyphoid is it's an additive that's put in the gear oil to help prevent wear and other issues that could occur. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an additive mm-hmm. package that has to be added. As far as the difference between seventy five eighty and seventy five ninety, yes, sir. Uh-huh. I, th- I think I think we're splitting hairs. All right, to be very honest okay. with you. All right. Um, you it, know, it, one of them
7: is a Mercedes. It's 75, 85.
4: Well, you know, and, and in the real world, you know, what really happens? Um, I can tell you this. I've actually, I've, I've, I'm going to use the word fret. Fretting's on my mind because of, that's another story, but uh-huh. um, I'm going to use the word fret. I've fretted over gear oil viscosity to the point that I've driven myself mad, and a, a while back, I started to realize that as I would call dealers for, hey, do you have seventy-five, eighty-five, and what are you working on? And I tell them, no, just use seventy-five, ninety. It's what we pour all day long. Um, you know, or seventy-five, okay. eighty. What do you pour? Oh, we pour seventy-five, ninety. Do that all day long. Um, three years ago, we had to put a differential in a customer's 'o seven Chevy Tahoe, a front diff, and there were no mm-hmm. parts. There were no parts available for it. GM discontinued what we needed. We can only get bits and pieces. We ended up buying a complete remanufactured axle from Jasper. Jasper makes front differentials and rear differentials as well as their engines. Mm-hmm. And when, <laughs> when we got the Jasper front differential, here's a vehicle from the factory that I believe takes 7590 synthetic gear oil. All right? Mm-hmm. GM required that or that was their recommendation. That was what they wanted. Jasper sent it to us. We were putting 7590 conventional gear oil in it. And when I asked why, because Jasper determined that it was better for the gears and the bearings. I, you know, I, I think a lot of this is based on what the engineers originally thinking and sometimes what the enger, engineer has to originally design. And I think some of it, is based on and a lot of it I'm sure obviously friction levels and they're concerned they're trying to hit specific fuel economy numbers they're trying to hit CAFE right that's part of
7: it too yeah, and that's uh-huh, part of it uh-huh. because
4: you know different viscosities affect drag and affect friction and affect fuel economy mm-hmm. and <laughs> I, I think it's something you know that you have to look at and consider and say hey what's the point of practicality one of my favorite okay. one of my favorite gear oils and then i'll i'll let you ask your next question mm-hmm. is go okay. out to go out to amsoil if you want to see something okay. really nice, Amsoil makes something called Severe Gear 7590, which is designed for high duress conditions. If you're off-roading or you're using it in, a, in, in an equipment application mm-hmm. or you want maximum mm-hmm. protection. So, you know, there is that option, too. You can go look at something like that, and that's from the folks over at Amsoil. Your second question. Okay.
7: Okay, um, I uh, like I said, I'm, I'm real big on preventive maintenance, and when the weather cools off a little bit, I'm going to start changing some of these fluids. I was out in the garage looking around. I've got two brand new containers of seventy-five-one forty synthetic. What in the world was I putting that in? And would you use that?
4: <laughs> uh, you were probably putting that. You were probably putting that in a Ford vehicle. Did you have a Ford? You know somewhere?
7: what? You're probably right. I've got a Thunderbird. Okay, but you know the the manual in the Thunderbird it, it only specifies seventy-five ninety.
4: Yeah, maybe you bought it. Maybe you bought it for the wrong vehicle. Then that typically went in Ford trucks. It went in some uh-huh. GM rear axles. Uh, you know, keep in mind that the idea of it's not just the viscosity. Would you use that in anything?
7: Yeah. Would you use that?
4: If if the application called for it, sure. Um,
7: okay, but if not, you wouldn't, because I, I looked up the Ford. The Ford says seventy-five ninety. I don't know what I bought that for. Yeah, it's I your wouldn't. Brand new containers. I, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't.
4: I wouldn't just use it at random. I'd have to have a reason okay. and I'd have to have an understanding of it. But, you know, keep in mind mm-hmm. what I was going to say was it's not just the viscosity, it's the base oil that the that the fluid is made from, mineral oil versus mm-hmm. a synthetic and then they have some semi-synthetic blends. It's synthetic. It's synthetic, right. yeah. Right. And the point becomes that the the synthetic the synthetic gear oil tends to have a better ability to withstand the heat and the torture that a gear oil goes through. And, you know, helps mm-hmm. helps with anti-foaming and some of the other things that go on. I've had guys tell me that when they tow, they've caused synthetic fluid to evaporate because in their minds it's thinner and it tends to wear out more. And then I've had guys tell me mm-hmm. that when they've switched to synthetic, they'll change the gear oil and they'll find that the synthetic holds up better. They see less signs of damage and discoloration and overheating and fluid mm-hmm. contamination. Mm-hmm. I really think, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll close it here, I really think gear oil is probably one of the most misunderstood or mismaintained fluids on a vehicle today, whether it's in a transmission transfer case or or a differential front or rear. I think it's something that needs regular maintenance. Gear oil is gear oil. I don't care what the manufacturer says. It's subject to abuse, corrosion, moisture, contamination. And it should be changed on a much more frequent basis than what I see people doing. And uh, what you're doing for what your vehicles are, you're going to uh, get longer life. You know what? It's just as expensive to rebuild a manual transmission, a transfer case, and in some cases a differential as it is an automatic. And we change automatic transmission fluid on a much more regular basis, I think. I appreciate the call, Jimmy, and I appreciate the questions. You're thinking, and I like that. You give us a call back when you need more. I'm Ron Anady in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron, the car doctor here at eight five five Let's go over to Paul in Maryland. Some questions on fuel systems. Paul, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
6: Hey, Ron. How you doing today? Good,
4: man. What's cooking?
6: Good, good. So I got a, it's a 07 F-150, uh, 282,000 miles. Um, the earlier, uh, I guess it was probably last week, it stalled out on me going to work, driving down the road. Okay. Uh, I was able to get over to the side. uh let it sit for a minute started back up and i had a pending um uh, 191 okay i had never set a hard code and then that went away and so i just continued to drive it a little bit and um then now i've got a check engine light on and then i have a uh p171 lean on bank
4: lean on bank one right are you, are you there, Paul? Uh, okay, go ahead, Paul. Yep. I, thought, I thought we lost you here for a minute. Go ahead.
6: Okay. And so I uh, was just kind of wondering where to go. It's uh, I've had a fuel pump put in it, and the fuel pump driver module has been replaced uh, at least once. All
4: right. So, you know, 191 is a fuel rail pressure sensor performance fault. And what they're doing is, and when you say it's stalled out, you know, to me, stalling is you're sitting at a traffic light or a stop sign, and it just stalls. Were you traveling at speed when it happened?
6: Yeah, I was driving along uh, probably about 45 or so. Okay. And it just uh, so got out in
4: orbit. It, it, in my mind, so we're on the same page, diagnostically speaking, that's cutting out or, or you know, shutting off at that point. It's not a stall. Okay. Um, right. So, you know, could it, and was it that you're pushing down on the pedal and it just didn't want to accelerate? It didn't want to go anywhere?
6: Um, I guess kind of, but then it just uh, cut out completely, and I put it in the neutral and coasted, coasted to the side. Right.
4: So it sort of felt like you were running out of fuel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Matches the symptom, right? Right. Yep. Right. So, So a 191 is a fault in fuel rail pressure sensor performance. Now, what they're doing is, because this is a returnless fuel system... All right, they, you know, they'll they'll pulse with the pump. They'll run the pump up to a certain pressure based on what the fuel rail pressure sensor says it's got and based on demand. You know, if, you're, if you've got your foot through the headlights and it sees wide open throttle angle and, you know, under heavy engine load, it's going, hey, this guy needs all the fuel he can get. It's going to look at the fuel rail pressure sensor and say, oh, it's at 35 pounds. It's not enough. He needs 45 and it's going to run the pump more and build up pressure all in the blink of an eye. All right. Okay. So it, it saw a glitch. It saw a one nine one and it said, Hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Could we have an intermittent could we have an intermittent fuel rail pressure sensor? Sure. Could we have a leaking fuel rail pressure sensor? Sure. I would I would pull the electrical plug out of the sensor and just look to see is the electrical connector wet. Is it showing okay. me, is it showing me any signs of fuel? Uh, you know you could also plug in a scan tool with some decent capability as long as it's got the ability for your make model by manufacturer. and you could actually watch fuel pressure by scan tool. And the way you're the way you're doing that is you're doing that by you know the computer is looking at the fuel rail pressure sensor. That's where that okay. that's where that number comes from. So you know you could do that, take the vehicle for a ride, and if the vehicle feels like it's losing power, watch the FRP. Does it Mm -hmm. does it look like it's you know Does it look like it's losing pressure? Now the other thing is somewhere in that PID list, those pieces of data you will see it will see um, desired fuel pressure and actual fuel pressure. So if if it's saying hey I need sixty psi, you know, and it's it's. It's only got 42. It's kind of like Captain Kirk saying, Scotty, I need all warp drive now or we're doomed. Um, you know, it's just saying, give me all you got. And it just may not be able to. If you're seeing 60 and a request is 60 and the truck continues to stall, we got something else going on. Okay. All right. Now, the 171, what I would do for that is, do you have a scan tool? Can, can it read data stream? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I would do is I would go look at fuel trim for both banks. Do you understand the theory of fuel trim?
6: Right, yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now.
4: Okay, so watch fuel trim, all right? For the sake of this conversation and simplicity, a 171 will set on the average vehicle when we have a combined total fuel trim of around 25%, long and short term. Short term is what you had for lunch today, Long term mm-hmm. is what you've had for lunch the past five days that made you want to have lunch. What you did for today, right? Right. So long term's history, short term's present. Um, when you hit twenty six percent, bang, one seven one happens because bank one's running lean. Mm-hmm. If, if bank two has a total fuel trim of twenty four percent, will it set a fault code for it? No, it shouldn't. Right. It's going to happen where at twenty five percent. Mm-hmm. Right. That's 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 the spec. That's the limit. Yep. So the the mistake everybody makes or can make or may make. And I've been, I've been there, done that. You get mentally you, you, you just forget is you start looking for things that are affecting bank one. Go look at fuel trim. If if bank one's the only one that's showing over 25 percent and bank two is running 14, 15 percent. Yeah, I'm going to kind of look more at bank one, what are my potential problems here? Do I have plugged injectors? Do I have a vacuum leak? And then again, it depends on where the fuel trim is high. If the fuel trim is off kilter at idle, and then mm-hmm. it, it goes away as the engine speeds up, I'm going to look more for a vacuum leak. If it's better at idle and gets worse as the vehicle's going down the road, I'm going to look for something more involved in fuel delivery. If it's 26% bank one, 24% bank two going down the road, I'm going to start to think, do I have a mass airflow sensor under-reporting? Do I have an intake boot, you know, the duct after the mass airflow sensor that's open and it's allowing unmetered air to come into the engine and create a lean condition? So, okay. you know, it's it, it all depends on, you know, what we're seeing and what we're looking for. And then when you eliminate all the obvious and everything else, if the vehicle has a brake booster, could the brake booster be contributing to it? You start to isolate. Um, you know, you start to think about... You have to think about things like EVAP. I go into purge valves, although a purge valve, if a purge valve was constantly stuck open, you would think that you would show a rich condition. It would be driving fuel trims the other way until you, right. until you find where the animal chewed on the line down at the canister, and it's actually drawing fresh air, um, and it hasn't set the EVAP fault first because it set the lean fault. It's a, It was a long story. It was a tough vehicle. It had more than one problem going on. Okay. So <laughs> I always look at everything. Um you know, just, just as food for thought. Last thing, uh, you've got, when you look at your scan tool, do you see a PID called calculated load? Uh, yes. Okay. So sitting there at idle in the driveway, you've got calculated load probably somewhere around, oh, I don't know, 20 to 22 percent, 25 percent, something like that.
6: Take the vehicle. Yeah, I think I'm absolute load and it's showing uh, 17.
4: Okay. So take the vehicle out on the highway. I believe absolute load and calculate calculated load are the same thing but just look and see if there's a calculated load pit sometimes there's a difference you should okay, you, you should see when you put when you take the vehicle out somewhere on a, on a on a quiet side street or a desert road where there's nobody around put your foot through the headlight you should see calculated load go 85 to 90 percent or better okay all right and it's actually ninety percent or better if it won't go above 75 80 percent now I'm starting to think I've got a mass airflow sensor that can't report. And then, okay. last thing does your does your scan tool show grams per second or airflow grams per second? It, it varies by pit. It varies by manufacturer. If your scan tool has the ability to go into OBD two and not your make model, use that side of it. All right. Okay. If this engine's uh, what engine's in this truck? It's
6: the five four three valve.
4: Okay, so you've got a five four motor, right? You you yes. should see roughly. Four to six grams of airflow at idle. Okay. All right. You know, and I, I'm giving you a bit, little bit of a wide range. Believe it or not, you'll typically see on a healthy motor 4.8 to 5.7. It'll be real tight to the to the leader mm-hmm. displacement. That's just a rule of thumb we've gone by for the longest time, and it always it always seems to come. Pr- point of truth that um an engine will flow at idle grams per second based on its leaders it's just a number that seems to work out in the industry try that okay. if, if you're seeing it under reporting if you're seeing three grams of airflow or eight grams of airflow i'd start to think you know do we have a mass air problem a duct problem do we have a restriction is there a plastic bag stuck in the air intake horn uh that's it's mm-hmm. clogging airflow uh you know I've, I've seen all kinds of crazy things in my career all right kiddo do those okay. do those things and give me a shout back. We can talk some more, and you know we'll take it from there. If you need more, good to talk to you, Paul. I'm running Annie in the car, Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron the Car Doctor. Let's get over to Tim in Maine with a 17 Chevy Silverado. Tim, tell me about this truck.
5: Uh, yes. We got it about a year ago, and the first six months was fine. And then the battery, we thought the battery kept running down. So it's four or five years old anyway, so I priced it. And uh, three days after that, it wouldn't start again.
4: When you and, say it wouldn't start, Tim, is it that the battery is dead or that it's a longer than normal crank time?
5: Well, it crank but crank really slow. okay. And uh, right after, you know shortly after we put that battery in like three days or it's just that. But now what it's doing is it just clicks. I mean, it won't even crank over at all. You go out start it, just click, click, click. click. okay If you put a booster on it, it starts up.
4: And does it when it or, starts up, does it start normal?
5: Yeah, All right. That's fantastic. All right, so and
4: so, what you're telling me is the battery's going dead. How long does the vehicle sit in between uses?
5: Well, we thought that was the case. We've taken it to the Chevy place and everything, and they can't find nothing wrong with it whatsoever. All right. We thought it was a battery, but the battery, I guess, isn't going dead because you go out and it go click 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 click, and you go back in the house, you might come back out and it starts up beautiful, and runs like nothing okay down the road shut it off and goes click 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 click
4: again okay listen listen
5: we've also come across excuse go ahead
4: i was going to say listen to me because we'll 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 run out of time what you're describing is you're describing an intermittent slow crank or no crank condition and other times it cranks normally correct correct okay um here's the list you got a pencil and paper uh yeah okay first thing i want somebody to do is scan it for codes I know there's no check engine light on. I just want to be sure. All right? It's not an unreasonable request. I want a load test done to the battery. I want the battery okay. to be given a stress test to be sure that the battery, whatever battery's in there at this point, is a good battery. Okay? Um, I, want volt, I want a voltage measurement. You know, today, Saturday at, at, at 2.51 p.m., it's reading 12.5 volts. If we let the vehicle sit there and we go up to it, Sunday at 2.51 in 24-hour period, what's standing voltage? If it was 12.5 yesterday, it should be within two-tenths of a volt today. If it's, if it's 11.9, there's a drain on the system. Or there's, we've got a bad battery that we just haven't figured out how to test it yet. All right? If we prove the battery to be correct in every circumstance, and I've gone to the extreme on some vehicles where I will physically pull the battery out of the vehicle, charge it on the bench, proper procedure with a good charger, uh, when I say a good charger, we've got Associated battery chargers in the shop that are all computer controlled. That you can tell it CCA. Here's the desired. It will hook up. It will plug in. It will tell you, Hey, this is what we've got, and it will automatically charge the battery. It's not just you know crank a battery charger on it, let it run until it you know overheats and and it's charged. There's a procedure for cranking right. batteries. All right, so they've got to be using a good quality battery charger like an Associated. Once I once I rule out the battery, and I still have an intermittent crank or no crank or click condition. I've got to think about battery cables. I've got to think about Mm -hmm. the starter itself. You're up in Maine, all right? You've got a salt and corrosion issue, especially in the winter. I I would take a look at the starter itself. There's a copper wound wire. There's a heavy gauge copper wound wire that goes between the solenoid Well, the top of the starter and the starter armature on certain models, and in some of the others, the starter itself is so corroded it starts to fall apart. I would take a hard look at the starter, all right? And then I would go through and I would look at a starter wiring diagram and clean all the grounds, I just went through this for a different issue on a Chevy pickup, and I solved it by cleaning all the grounds. Sometimes, by doing all this, you're going to baseline, and at least you know what you're up against. The Chevy dealer said they didn't find anything. Ask them what kind of tests they did. Call me back next week and let me know, because when a shop says, Yeah, we didn't find anything, there's nothing wrong, that tells me the shop's not trying hard enough. Do those tests, and uh, let's take it from there. 855-560-9900. The car doctor will return right after this. Well, welcome back. I guess it's my turn to talk, so I'll run any in, in the car doctor at your service. By the way, the phone number, 855-560-9900, is 24-7. You can call the number any time, day or night, leave a message. We are live on the network on the air Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time. And uh, Tom Ray, the executive producer of this show and producer extraordinaire, will uh, call you back and put you in the live queue. For the next live broadcast, keep in mind the next couple of weeks we're looking for volunteers, as it were. If you've got a question you can't get to us on Saturday, shoot us an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com, or call the 855-560-9900 phone number and leave a message and let us know that you're interested in asking a question. And we're going to be taping a show. We're going to do a tape-to-air show to give you two fresh shows in the month of August. The car is going to take something he hasn't done in probably 30 years, take a whole week vacation um, from Saturday to Saturday. Like, Wow. And, uh, you know, we're going to uh, give you two fresh shows, things that you've never heard before, as always, because uh, we love you guys. We want to take care of you, and we want to give you interesting automotive shows every week. So if you want to be part of that, then uh, call 855-560-9900, leave a message, and Tom or I will give you a call and put you in the queue, and we'll set you up when be one one night during the week. We haven't uh, finalized that. Real quick, Ron, I can't verify how accurate this website—and by the way, I thank you for participating in that. Let me, let me say that. Ron, I can't verify how accurate this website is anymore— But it may be of interest to your listeners. This comes to us from Bob. He's a regular listener to the show. Uh, Purchasing ethanol-free gas. People should read the description or perhaps call before they head out. One of the local places on the list only sells the fuel where I live in one-gallon containers for use with gas-powered yard equipment. Um, The website is the usual, www.pure-gas.org. So, if you're interested in ethanol-free fuel, you could try that. Um, it's amazing how many of you are interested in this. I'm I'm staggered by it. Some of the some of the questions and comments and uh, uh, thoughts on it. So, if you're into that, then uh, pure-gas.org. Till the next time, I'm Ron and the Car Doctor, reminding you: good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.